0: Live from the center of Waterloo Region, when you need to know,
1: it's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570.
2: Feel like an old-fashioned music DJ, which, you know, all things considered, on this very radio station is not entirely uncommon. You probably know, as well as I do, that a long time ago, on these very airwaves, this radio station played music just like that. The old 570 chime, it's the same spot on the dial. And then it went to... 570 CKGL, there was country music on here for a while. And then we moved over to the format we continue to share with you today, news, information, good old-fashioned talk radio. And so if we were in a previous life, and my name was George Michaels or something, I would be telling you that the music you just heard is the latest single called Rafters from a brand, or not from a brand new, it's the brand new single from a local band formed Five years ago now, back in 2019, they are called Red Output. And I chose their music today with intention because they will be joining us on the show this morning at 11 o'clock. So a couple hours from now to talk about that very song and life in the music industry today. It is 9.07, a Monday morning, the 29th. Of January. If you're wondering why, in HE double hockey sticks, this month has felt so ding dang long, it's because this month has been so ding dang long. This is the fifth Monday we have had to endure (laughs) in the month of January, but that's okay. We're soldiering on together and we will mark Groundhog Day and six more weeks of quote unquote winter later this week February the 1st let's all say it together now February is Thursday Groundhog Day will be Friday as we so often get the opportunity to do on the morning after a night before a little celebration of the greatest hockey player in the world
3: Robertson with a couple of elusive moves gets it into the corner they score they score Austin Matthews wins the game
2: You're probably wondering, hang on a second now, Farwell. Are you off your rocker? Did something go wrong? Did you fall and hit your head? I mean, Austin Matthews did win the game in overtime away back last Wednesday evening, like five days ago. But you see, I was unable to be with you on Thursday and Friday as I traveled with the Kitchener Rangers and spent the weekend up in Sault Ste. Marie and Saginaw, lovely places to go spend some time. But I watched the game on Wednesday night. I saw Austin Matthews score that goal. And then I got a message from my friend Matt who said, well, things like, he didn't actually even say the word. He used those funny characters that you use when you're typing something out and want to use an expletive. So his new phrase is not just AM on the AM in the AM. It's a freaking M on the AM in the a.m. because of that overtime winner a one nothing victory for the leafs away back then and then while i was away on the weekend
3: they're playing around on the outside no button down low yet centering pass that didn't work matthews a drive he scores there's number 40 five years in a row And the Toronto
2: Maple Leafs have a two-goal lead. And the Toronto Maple Leafs won another game, and all of a sudden things seem just fine in Leafland. I got a message on Saturday from Kevin. Thank you, Kevin, who reminded me that we're going to need some AM on AM in the AM come Monday morning because of that. As it turned out, at the time of Kevin's message, I was in Saginaw watching the Kitchener Rangers, unfortunately, (laughs) lose a game. But Kevin kept me up to date on the Leafs, and now we can play some A.M. on A.M. in the A.M. 40 goals now. 40 goals now for Austin Matthews this season. And because Kevin's message came in while I was at a Kitchener Rangers game, I thought, you know what we should start doing? Let's see who scores more, Austin Matthews or Carson Rakoff. Carson Rakoff has been a little quiet in the goal-scoring department lately. He had back-to-back hat tricks, and now he's gone six games without a goal. Carson Rakoff has 37 goals. Austin Matthews has 40. Hey, Carson, got to catch the greatest hockey player in the world. Let's go. Let's go, you Rangers. Let's go, you Carson Rakoff. Let's go quickly to the phones and say good morning to Paul. Morning, Paul. Morning. How are you doing? Oh, my goodness. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It was good talking with you the other day. I enjoyed it listen. as well.
4: Yeah, listen, each morning I wake up and I flip the radio on and I listen. I, I want to know, has World War Three started yet? This morning I flipped the radio on and find out that World War Three is trending on uh, social media. the uh, The other thing I want to know is... What stupid things have the Liberals done over the weekend or overnight? And is uh, Jagmeet Singh going to withdraw support from uh, Liberal uh, from uh, Justin Trudeau, and cause an election? Now, I'm still going with my bet. I'm still saying a spring election, and I, I'm pretty confident in it because... I know that locally here, the Conservatives believe there's going to be a spring election because over a matter of days, they opened nominations, closed nominations. And yesterday, I started getting all these phone calls and text messages. Apparently, the vote is coming up on Friday. Now
2: The vote to get a new candidate for the Conservative Party, to nominate the next candidate.
4: Exactly. Yeah.
2: Now,
4: one of the phone calls that I got was from a, uh, a mutual friend who uh, wanted to know what Rant and Rave was because he wanted to call in and talk to you on Rant and Rave about this. The uh, So what we've done is we've gotten together this morning and he wants to talk to you now.
2: Even better.
3: Say hello. Hey, Mike. How you doing?
2: I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good, good. It's Sonny Howell. Sonny, it's been so long, my friend. How the heck are you? I I, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm also great. Thank you very much.
3: Well, like, like, like Paul was saying, um, we got emails last night. He got phone calls. I was getting phone calls and text messages. Long story short, there's the, the Conservatives are having a nomination this Friday. Now, as you know, you're a political junkie like me. Every party has, well, most parties have nomination meetings to elect a local candidate to represent their party. And for grassroots members, that's basically the playoffs. I mean, Election Day is the Super Bowl. Um, But we're both scratching our heads. Why are they only giving the grassroots members of Cambridge five days' notice of this nomination meeting? Because usually, you know, it's usually about 500-plus members that get excited. Um, but five days, we're just scratching our heads. And then I was asking him, like, hey, Paul, you should just call on Rant and and Rave one day and and, uh, talk to Mike. And then he told me Rant and Rave doesn't exist anymore. And he said, let's meet for a morning beverage and I'll have a surprise for you.
2: I hope it's a morning-type beverage, caffeinated, not alcoholic, you two knuckleheads. Come on now. (laughs) It is. It is. (laughs) You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like the Conservative Party Riding Association in Cambridge already has in mind its preferred candidate, and that's why there would be such a short runway to the meeting on Friday.
3: It's interesting you say that, Mike, because when we were scratching our heads, that's what we were thinking. Because, as you know, as a former candidate, a lot of people come out and, you know, talk to me, and before the nominations were even open, there was potential candidates asking me what's going on. And about a month ago, I can tell you this, there were eventually four potential candidates, And I was just talking to one other candidate who has been approved, so there's two approved candidates, Um, but the one just got approved a few days ago, so he didn't even have enough time with the membership list to go out and introduce himself, and now everyone's wondering, okay, what the heck's going on? Traditionally speaking, before they change the rules, they give the, the candidates about minimum 14 days to get their name out, knock on doors, email, call, and... But what you just said is kind of like what me and me and Paul were talking. Like, that, that, that something seems fishy, and it's just it's unfortunate that the leadership team locally and HQ is doing this, because that's that's kind of a slap in the face to grassroots members who pay their you know their their membership fee. It's uh, the reason they, they they buy membership cards is to vote for leadership, vote for for a local candidate. And the funny thing is, Mike, we haven't had a nomination meeting with a vote in almost five years. And now they're rushing it with five days? And on top of that, they sent the email out on a Sunday afternoon. I didn't even check my email. I was getting calls like Paul and text messages. It's just, you know, interesting. A lot of questions to to be asked. And the answers that I've got from local people, it it causes more questions.
4: You know, Mike, the, the other thing is... Uh, we we have approximately 900 card carrying members that are eligible eligible to vote and normally for one of these things we would have speeches uh prior to the opening of the poll and after the speeches then people would uh, the polls would open up and people would be able to vote uh normally that would be done on a weekend This time, those speeches are scheduled for three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Okay,
2: that's like the five o'clock news dump. Come on,
4: exactly. You know the, you know if if it was a liberal party, that'd be fine. But conservatives, uh,
3: conservatives work for a living. Okay, (laughs) available. All right, gents, I (laughs) gotta run. Uh, Can can I just add one thing, sir, just on a positive note, just for your grassroots members and people who who are in Cambridge, so they do know if they didn't get the email. And if you have any journalists from 570 News that want to swing by, the nomination is this Friday uh, at the French Club uh, on Franklin Road uh, from 3.30 to 8 p.m.
2: All right, 3.30 to 8, French Club. uh, Sorry, give me the road again, Franklin Road
3: uh yeah yeah uh i think it's 647 franklin boulevard
2: okay friday afternoon 330 until 8 p.m the nomination meeting for the cambridge the conservative riding in cambridge and we're going to have that happening on friday very short runway sunny paul really appreciate hearing from you thanks for being so engaged in your community you have a great day mike (laughs) you too friends bye-bye uh okay i'm glad they brought that up and listen Quickly on that note, I know there's no formal rant or rave that we used to have, but every day, 12 to 1, open lines for the 12 o'clock talkback, you can rant and rave during that time. Not just, you know, once here, once there. It's every single day from noon to 1. That's the kind of stuff you're welcome to bring to the show. Or... Bring it first thing in the morning as we get underway. We've had our AM, on AM, in the AM. We've listened to some Red Output, the local band, who will be featured on the show a little bit later today. We're going to take a break because we must. And we'll come back with the five things you need to know. Your Farwell Show 5 is coming up. This is City News 570. It is 9.21 on your Monday morning, this 29th of January. If you're wondering, by the way, are we the only place in this province without winter yet? The answer is no. I went as far north as the Ontario Hockey League would take me on the weekend. It was virtually identical weather up in Sault Ste. Marie and then across the Mackinac Bridge into Saginaw. We did not see a hint. I mean, there was some snow on the ground, but really not much different there than it is here. You can even see the pictures for yourself on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show, because as Paul Fixter and I, my broadcast partner, were out for a walk, we came by a really nice community rink in a park, an outdoor hockey rink, and it was more well, if you have ever heard the phrase pond hockey, that's what you'd be playing on this rink, because there was more water it seemed than ice. One,
4: two, three, four. How is Jay-
2: All right, let's dive into your Farwell Show 5 for this Monday morning. Number one, former NHLer with the Ottawa Senators, OHLer with the London Knights, and World Junior player with Team Canada, Alex Formanton, has turned himself in to London police as part of a sexual assault investigation dating back to 2018. Four other players from Canada's 2018 World Junior team are also expected to surrender this week, with London police anticipating holding a news conference next Monday. Number two, there's already been a news conference this morning, hosted by Ontario's Minister of Public and Business Service Delivery. To talk about those plans to move Service Ontario locations into big box stores, Todd McCarthy says this move is based on an already successful model. It's proven to be very successful in the communities where we've seen Canadian Tire, IDA,
0: and uh, Home Hardware offer the Service Ontario products and service model. It's proven very successful, and we're simply adding to that. We're piloting Employment Ontario partnerships, public libraries, more First Nations partnerships, more municipal partnerships, depending on what works in the community.
2: Number three on your Farwell Show 5 for this Monday morning, leaders from across the political spectrum gathered yesterday to remember Ed Broadbent at a state funeral. The former federal NDP leader died January the 11th at the age of 87. Newly elected premier of Manitoba, Wab Canoe, spoke at the funeral.
3: Ed was a relentless force for good in our beloved Canada. He embodied this in the political victories that he helped to secure for Indigenous rights and environmental justice, for gender equity and an undying Passion for
2: the blue collar.
3: Fred, it was always about fairness, honesty, and bringing Canadians together.
2: Number four on your Farwell Show 5 for this Monday morning. Members of our Muslim community invited local leaders to a community breakfast yesterday in Waterloo to open a dialogue on Islamophobia and start talking about concrete ways to combat it. We'll be talking about that on our show this morning in just over. 30 minutes time, just after the 10 o'clock news. Uh, we'll talk about the 7th anniversary of the uh, killing at a Quebec mosque and find out how we're doing to counter Islamophobia in our community. And number 5 on your Farwell Show 5 this Monday morning, the matchup for Super Bowl LVIII. All right, Super Bowl 58. Uh, it's all set. It's going to feature the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the San Francisco 49ers. The Chiefs beat the Baltimore Ravens yesterday 17-10. to 10 while San Fran came from behind to top Detroit 34-31. to 31. We
3: had some opportunities out there. Just got to take advantage of them. Can't turn the ball over. You no know, fumble, interception, stuff like that.
5: It's hard. You know, you feel like you get your heart ripped out. But I'm proud of that group, and I'll go
2: anywhere with that group. That's Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Before that, quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, both on the wrong end of those scores yesterday. Chiefs Niners, couple weeks from now in Super Bowl 58. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. We are on our way to an update from the City News Centre. And then, should Ontarians who have a history of violence be allowed to obtain a firearms license? The answer to that question might be more complicated than you think, but we'll get into that after this update from the City News Centre. While I was away, it is not lost on me in keeping up with the news while I travelled with the Kitchener Rangers late last week and through the weekend that one of the big local crime stories was a murder and the investigation that is now underway. There was also a seizure of a firearm just yesterday by Waterloo Regional Police. And we talk about firearms on this show quite a bit. You know, I think, how I feel about firearms legislation in this country. I think it is robust. I think it is adequate. I think we have a real problem with firearms being smuggled into our country, That's one part of our problem. I also think we have a real problem with, for some reason, an inability to more seriously punish those who engage in crimes using firearms. That's part two, I believe, of our problem. There is a rather interesting question being asked, though, in light of a case here in Ontario where a man with a history of violence was still permitted to obtain a firearms license, and in case you can't tell where this is going, there was a tragic outcome in that case. So the question becomes, should people in Ontario with a history of violence be allowed a gun license? A.J. Somerset is the author of Arms, the Culture and Credo of the Gun, and he joins us to talk about it. A.J., I know it's, it's a big question, but can we just start with that? Should Ontarians with a history of violence be allowed a gun license, or is that just, you know, the history of violence making it a non-starter automatically?
1: Well, generally it should be an automatic non-starter. I think that the only, you know, sort of exceptions that arise are kind of edge cases. Um, And one example would be somebody who, you know, at 18 years old when they're still young and, Garmless, they uh they get into a fight and then you know 25 years later they want to apply for a gun license and they've had a clean record since mm-hmm. you know that's the kind of situation where you could say yeah their recent behavior is is more important than whatever they did at the age of 18 um and it was a you know fairly minor instance, um, that occurred when they were 18. So, you know, that's kind of the the edge case that we could look at. And the other thing is, what about people who live in remote communities and need firearms for sustenance? And then, you know, that becomes complicated as well.
2: When you talk about recency, AJ, it, it does occur to me that federal legislation, that the provinces are bound by allow a 5-year window to kind of look back at when you're considering issuing a gun license. Is that long enough is that recent enough?
1: Well, they they did allow a 5-year window. Um the the law previous to 2021 said uh that they had to consider the last 5 years. Um and now it says that they have to consider the entirety of your your life. Um, so that's a recent change uh, it came about in 2021. I'm not sure when it actually came into force. It was Bill C-71 that changed that.
2: Okay. And then it makes me also wonder about the amount of discretion, if any, for example, a chief firearms officer may have in determining whether or not to issue a license. Is there too much discretion?
1: Well, that's a bit of a mystery because we don't actually get to know exactly what their discretion is, but it certainly, we see cases where it appears that their discretion has, is either too broad or has been applied too broadly. And, you know, one of the obvious cases of that is this Jeremy Pearson case, where somebody who had a history of, of violence, a conviction for forcible confinement, um, had been able to obtain a firearms license and then subsequently killed his ex-girlfriend, um, And there have been other cases as well. Another case actually from British Columbia, not Ontario, um, is of a guy who had drug convictions and then was able to obtain a firearms license and use that firearms license to supply uh, firearms to gangs. So, you know... we can see examples where the discretion applied has gone very badly wrong um which kind of does suggest that we should be looking more closely at what that discretion is
2: and and to that end when you talk about the mystery that does exist in some of these cases and bringing it back to ontario with the pearson case there are uh, four others uh, four other cases that Media are trying to gain access to the records for with reports suggesting that at least three of the four may have been cases where the individual issued the license had a history of violence and and the government is withholding these documents at this point. And I wonder if that's not part of the problem here. If we don't know where things may have gone wrong, how can we possibly fix them?
1: Well, yeah, that is the problem. And, you know, the police will say that, uh, you know, they don't want to give out information about this process because it's investigative techniques. And, you know, people could then use that information to game the system. And I think that's true to an extent. Uh, but on the other hand, this kind of thing then becomes a shield against scrutiny, where the police have clearly made mistakes, and uh, we need to understand those mistakes so we can know if the policies in place are the right policies.
2: I, I I wonder if, and I don't want to diminish by any stretch the the tragedy of the Pearson case and others, for example, but I I, I can't help but wonder. In this, if if there was a real problem with the system, wouldn't we be hearing about more cases like this?
1: Well, I think that uh, you know, overall, we have to acknowledge that the system does work fairly well in Canada. You know, uh, and generally speaking, uh, firearms owners are law-abiding people. Um, I think that we probably don't hear very many cases like the Pearson case, uh, simply because there's not that many people with a history of violence who are applying for firearms licenses.
2: Oh, that's so. What we're talking about here is uh, an almost uh, negligible sample size, really.
1: Yeah, I think there well, I think that there's probably a small number of people who are who would apply for a farm's license having a history of violence. Um, and I think as well we have to to give the police some due and, and you know, I think in most cases where that discretion is applied, they are probably denying those applications uh the problem is with these ones that do slip through we need to better understand how they slip through uh so that we can you know improve the system
2: and how might we get that or gain that better understanding is it through the release of records is it through some scrutiny
1: yeah, it's through the through the release of records, because, you know, the police will tell us that, oh, you know, we we recognize we made a mistake and, and we've refined our processes. But, you know, that forgets that the police are serving the law, but it's ultimately up to us to decide what the law is that they serve. So, you know, when we have instances like this, I think it's important that the essential facts be made public so that uh, we can ensure that, you know, the correct action is taken to improve the system.
2: Is there room for improvement here?
1: Uh, I think there definitely is. When you have, uh, you know, a case like the, the Jeremy Pearson case, um, when you have situations like that, I think most people's reaction would be, hey, how does somebody with a history of violent crime get a firearms license in this country? Um so that certainly suggests room for improvement.
2: A.J., I really appreciate your time and expertise on the matter today. Thank you very much for joining the show. Great. Thanks for having me on. A.J. Somerset is a firearms expert. He's a former reservist, and he's the author of the book Arms, the Culture and Credo of the Gun. I think when you hear the question, should somebody with a history of violence be able to later obtain a firearms license it seems like a pretty simple and probably pretty hard no but the answer gets a little bit more complicated drunken shenanigans when you're 18 should that preclude you from obtaining a firearms license when you're 40 if there is a spotless record in those intervening 22 years. And really what we're getting at here is when we attempt to understand where and why and how things go wrong, why is some of that information that would help us with that understanding being kept hidden from us? It was a freedom of information request that even got us to the bottom of the Pearson case, for example. So, again, I think you can hear here how much more complicated, the answer really becomes. How would you answer the question? Should Ontarians with a history of violence be allowed a gun license? You tell me. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570.
1: I think as well we have to give the police some due and I think in most cases where that discretion is applied, they are probably denying those applications. The problem is with these ones that do slip through, we need to better understand how they slip through so that we can improve the system.
2: And in order to better understand how they slip through, we would need access to some records and fully understanding privacy concerns. I think we can see a greater public good in accessing those records, right? That's A.J. Somerset, the author of Arms, the Culture and Credo of the Gun. And sadly, it's been quite the weekend of the gun in the region of Waterloo with a homicide late last week and then a firearm seized by police in a vehicle stop yesterday. Five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five star 570 and one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen. Should Ontarians who have a history of violence be allowed a gun license? Sean, what do you think?
6: Good morning. Yes. While I was listening, I looked at the Firearms Act to confirm what I thought. Yeah. Under General Rule's personal safety, it quite clearly states that if you have a history of behavior that includes violence or threatened or attempted violence or threatening, you are not eligible to hold a license like it's already written so it's just a matter of enforcing the laws we already have in place the person clearly should not have had the weapon it also describes if you've been treated for mental illness of being committed there's all sorts of rules in here about mental stability uh threatening violence attempting violence or anything against any person you just have to enforce the existing laws
2: You know, when you say it that way, Sean, it makes it sound, I mean, not to make too uh, glib a comparison here, but it sounds a lot like what we say when it comes to speeding, doesn't it? The posted speed limit's there. People just disobey it because the penalty for getting caught isn't stiff enough, or they just don't get caught.
6: It's up to the firearms officer. You know, I, I'm assuming the firearm officer knows, knows the legislation. It's up to them to enforce it. Simple as that.
2: Yeah. Sean, I hear where you're coming from. I appreciate the call. And this is why I'll come back to when things do slip through the cracks, which obviously they have, what mechanisms do we then have to figure out how and why it slipped through the cracks? Did the firearms officer make a mistake? Is there too much discretion granted, these firearms officers? I think those are fair questions to ask, but Sean is bang on, and it takes me back to what I said at the outset of this conversation. I think the legislation, as it stands in Canada today, is more than adequate, frankly. It's robust. You heard Sean outline some of the things that one must go through in order to obtain the firearms licenses and the rather extensive background checks that are conducted before issuing that license. So when it goes wrong, why does it go wrong? What happened? And why are we being prevented in some cases from getting that information to help us determine how and why it went wrong? Because unless we know that, we don't fix it. As Sean points out, the laws are pretty clear. It's right there on the books. As long as we're enforcing the existing legislation, everything should be Just fine. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Little local music from Danny Michelle as we welcome you back to the program. We try to sneak that stuff in there, the local music, because we have a proud tradition of local artists who have gone on to great things, or they just continue doing great things right here in the region. And I point out Danny's song not just because he and I went all through elementary and high school together, I promise, but I just point it out because you know we've got um, some Cheryl Lescom and some Steve Strongman and some other local artists as the music that we use coming back from commercial breaks here on the show. One of the little touches that we thought, you know, we're a Waterloo Region show. We're going to feature some Waterloo Region music from time to time. And on the show today, we're actually going to be meeting one of our newer local indie bands called Red Output, who just yesterday released their latest single. So they're going to join us in studio Uh, just after the 11 o'clock news this morning. You'll learn more about how they got started, how it is in the music business today, and more about that new single called Rafters. Uh, At 11.30, it being Monday, David Drew joins us for Drew's Views. You'll get David's unique perspective on what's happening, particularly within federal politics. And I think David said... He was going to be sticking around for a little bit longer today as well. So he'll be a part of our 12 o'clock talkback hour. Don't forget about that, of course, from 12 until 1. We open the phone lines so that you can have your say about the issues we talk about on the show or anything else that happens to be on your mind this Monday morning. We're also going to have a conversation just after 10.30, so half an hour from now, with a man that started a, a neighborhood community connector, let's say, a club for his neighbourhood so people could get to know one another better, local businesses just within that neighbourhood could grow, et cetera. Well, this idea has gone well beyond his neighbourhood in Waterloo. So we'll hear about that just after the 10.30 news. And following this update from the City News Centre, today marks the National Day of Remembrance of the Quebec City mosque attack. What does that look like here in the region? We'll talk about it. Following this update from the City News Centre with Mark Douglas... Well, you just heard in that update with Mark Douglas, today marks seven years since six men were killed and five others wounded in a hate-motivated attack at a mosque in Quebec City. Today is the National Day of Remembrance of that occasion. Immigration Waterloo Region sharing on social media just moments ago. We come together in solidarity with those killed, those injured, and their communities, friends and family who have been affected. We must continue to honor the six people who lost their lives on this date and work as a community to end the problems of deep-seated racism and Islamophobia. Fazia Mazar is the executive director of the Coalition of Muslim Women KW and joins me for a conversation. Fazia, good morning.
7: Good morning, Mike. How are you?
2: I'm well, thank you. How are you?
7: Um, good. Good. As, as good as we can be on this day.
2: I I that's exactly what I was thinking when I asked. And and so I wonder Fazia on this day, what are your reflections? How how do you feel 7 years later?
7: I think the pain and grief in the communities as uh, we talk about is still very much alive. And then uh, uh, the everyday, uh, especially like, you know, more recent rise, spike in uh, Islamophobia in general in Canada and in our communities sort of deepens, deepens, deepens that pain. But also it reminds us that the need to build and strengthen our communities is greater than ever before. Our ability to empathize with the pain of our neighbors. Whoever our neighbor is, it's really important more than ever before. that we understand the pain, whether it's stemming from the global turmoil itself, because they have families and roots in the impacted area, or if the pain is stemming from um, the victimization of their communities uh, uh, in terms of hate and racism and Islamophobia and anti-Semitism.
2: How do we build and strengthen our communities to work towards this end, Fazia?
7: I heard something very insightful yesterday. Yesterday we had a breakfast with system leaders for members of Muslim communities and various cultural communities within the local Muslim communities to come together with their system leaders and talk about their experiences, the real experiences. With Islamophobia, anti-Arab and anti-Palestinian racism, um, and in the cheering moment, moment there was one person who stood up and said, that yes, we know that the government is helping with all of the security measures and things like that. Uh, they're asking us to build more fences and all that, but is it about building fences or building bridges? Is it about like you know the fear? of our neighbors or it's 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 an opportunity for us to even be closer to our neighbors so i think i think that's the answer to the question we don't want to live in the fear of our neighbors we want to have the global we have to have the understanding that this global turmoil the war right now in the middle east is impacting communities in many different ways and the pain is maybe not stemming from the same sources, but the pain and the loss and the grief can have shared, uh, like, you know, can be shared, can be understand, can be empathized with. So the more we are able to uh, to understand our neighbors and build bridges, even at this difficult time, the better it will be. It's very difficult time. And especially for Canadian Muslims, Communities and and the Canadian Jewish community. I will talk more about the Canadian Muslims, of course, because of my connection is directly with uh, this community. So many of many of uh, the Canadian Muslims have roots, deep roots in the Middle East, and they're impacted directly by the current indiscriminate, indiscriminate bombing on a large scale. And then, so their families are there. They have their own traumas, displacement, and also now fear for their family members. And then on top of that, they're feeling unsafe to share their pain and grief because of the fear of reprisals. Not just like, not just, I wouldn't say uh, social reprisals, but also some criminal in nature because it's such an evolving conflict that we don't even know about the language. What is the right language to use? What's not the right language to use? And how is the language impacting different communities in our own, like, you know, larger community? And then discrimination, especially at workplace. So there is definitely, there are definitely fears of protection of the speech, a lot of other things. So a lot of fears on top of the trauma and, and the the fear about losing their immediate family members. It's a very, very difficult time, very emotional, and uh, I hope that we come out of this better than ever before. But for now, being able to see hope is very... Is, we are in, in very dark moments.
2: You mentioned, Fozia that event yesterday morning, and I did want to ask about that gathering and the community conversation that you tried to facilitate. What were you hoping would come of that?
7: Building more trust between the communities and uh, the system. I think it's very important for the communities to feel that not only they can share their personal stories and experiences with system leaders, but also recommend the ch- changes uh, they, that they would like to see or, or and also like being able to feel heard and seen, it's very, very important at this time. Um, and as I said before, building trust—that yes, we can share, and we can be heard, and uh, the changes will come. The hope, rebuilding of hope, that things that that things will change.
2: What sorts of impacts uh, are being felt here within our Muslim community connected to? the war in the Middle East that you've spoken of. How, how difficult is that making things here in the region?
7: I think it's the same as in other parts of the country and in general in other parts of the world. So basically, as I said before, first, just sort of un- unfolding, seeing the, the violence on a daily basis, uh, bombardment and killing and uh, sort of like, you know, uh universities and colleges and hospitals and uh, not being able for the impacted uh uh people in that area, not being able to receive aid, for example, or not being able to come out of that uh uh war zone basically uh at this point. All of these things um and when you have families there it's double because now you don't know whether you will be able to hear from your family tonight or tomorrow night or today and things like that. And also reliving the trauma. If you yourself is a displaced person because of war, violence, terrorism, whatever, then the feeling of the reliving the trauma, all, all, all of that. And then on top of that, as I said before, that really feeling fearful. Not being able to share uh, their pain or grief or frustrations, for example, openly. So there are people who are sharing this openly, but they're doing it with taking a lot of risks off. and they we have heard many stories of people like you know, let go of from their places of employment or uh, um, protesters, for example, met with some uh, uh, verbal. Like, you know, violence and also acts, uh, sort of bordering on physical violence and at least threats of violence and things like that. So lots of different ways that the uh, communities, uh, community is impacted. But I think the most, uh, the one that resonate with me a lot, uh, is the, the, this feeling of like, you know, that, that, that fear that we have to protect ourselves by, not sharing our pain and grief or not being able to. Otherwise, we will lose job or social connections or, uh, yeah, like, a lot, like reprisals in a school system, for example.
2: Fazia, it's always good to get your perspective on the show. Thank you for making time on this really important day. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Mike. Talk again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Fazia Mazar is the executive director of the Coalition of Muslim Women of KW, joins us today on this National Day of Remembrance of the Quebec City mosque attack. And 24 hours after the Coalition's Together Against Islamophobia program, which invited community leaders to a special breakfast yesterday in order to address Islamophobia, which, sadly... Seven years later, and of course we know prior to that attack at the Quebec City Mosque in 2017, it continues to be a problem. Let's build bridges instead of fences. What a wonderful idea and sentiment. And just as a brief aside, how great is it to hear Fawzi's voice on the show again? This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV.
7: A lot of fears on top of the trauma and the fear about losing their immediate family members. It's very, very difficult time, very emotional, and I hope that we come out of this better than ever before. But for now, we are in a in very dark moment.
2: Fazia Mazar is the executive director of the Coalition of Muslim Women of KW. She joins us on this 29th of January to remember... Seven years later, this is the National Day of Remembrance of the Quebec City Mosque attack and action against Islamophobia. Let's go to the phones. Robert, good morning.
0: Good morning. Uh, yeah, I just... Uh, this topic reminded me of something I, I've never shared before and just thought I'd share it. Um, it was about 10 years ago uh, at uh, the drop-off zone for our for uh, kids at our uh, our school. My son was in kindergarten. Um, Now, I'm like a typical-looking outdoor Canadian guy, I think. I'm like 300 pounds, 6'4". I'm I'm smiley, but I could be intimidating to some. Anyways, I'm standing in line. My son starts crying because it's first year of kindergarten. He gets upset. And a a Muslim lady came over, and she didn't speak a word of English. She handed me, because I didn't have any tissues with me to, to help my son, she gave me like a handmade Kleenex, like a thing, I don't know what to call it, and uh, I used it to help my son, and then I tried to give it back. I didn't know if she wanted it back, but she's like, oh, no, no, like with kind of gestures, like, you keep it, you keep it. And uh, that just that made me so happy, and it made me realize at the time, we're, we're all the same. <laughs> like We all want the same thing for our kids. We want to live in a safe society. We want our kids to do well in school. We worry about them the same, even if we have some differences. And that that was just a kind of a positive memory that came back to me when I was hearing your story.
2: That's a great story. And, you know, it just makes me think of one of those things that Fozzie has said, which is let's build bridges, not fences. And the exchange of that handkerchief or whatever we're going to call it was a bit of a bridge being built there.
0: it, It meant a lot to me at the time. And I just remembered that. That's all.
2: Well, and the moral of the story, also, I guess, Robert, is to not be too intimidated by the three hundred pound, six foot four, outdoor Canadian looking <laughs> I, dude.
0: I am smiling, looking like I'm
2: trying to be. <laughs> okay, sad. you say that, but I don't know. Well, I haven't met well, you yet.
0: Well, I was the stay at home dad at the time, so it was mostly moms dropping off the kids, right? So I was like one of the only two dads there, so I always felt kind of awkward, anyway. But yeah, I just it was just a it just reminded me of that we you know we may look different on the outside, but we all want the same things, like. That's what I took out of it
2: anyway. It's a great story and a great memory. Thanks for sharing it, Robert. I appreciate it. All right. Bye. all right, bye-bye. I love the way that Robert just, it, it goes beyond obviously the external and how many times do we have to say, oh, you know, you don't judge a book by its cover. But I really like the perspective of we all want the same things for our kids, right? We want them to be happy. We want them to remain healthy we want them to feel secure and comfortable we want generally a safe community we want I'm positive we want good relationships with our neighbors our coworkers etc right you don't have to go too far beneath the surface to find all of those commonalities and what a nice memory and a good story to be able to share Brought upon by our conversation around a really difficult issue, that, of course, being the ongoing existence of Islamophobia, the challenges it creates in our communities. And a day after our local coalition of Muslim women of KW hosted a community breakfast to spark some dialogue, we mark this National Day of Remembrance of the Quebec City mosque attack and action against Islamophobia. If only all of the actions were as simple as the exchange of a handkerchief. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. So I'm out this weekend taking a walk with Paul Fixter, who is my broadcast partner on Kitchener Rangers games here on City News 570. It's one of the things that we have taken to doing I love that he's so into it. When we're on the road, I mean, you could sit around the hotel all day and eat nachos, or you could get out and get some fresh air. And fortunately, the weather wasn't too uncomfortable to do just that, even though we were in the far north this weekend. Anyway, so we're out walking, and we're in Saginaw on Saturday. And the hotel wasn't far from a really big shopping center, which we kind of used as a turnaround point for our little walk. It was a pretty busy area, except the shopping mall itself was I mean tumbleweeds could have been blowing through a good two thirds of the parking lot, and we just thought back on the days when that parking lot would have been full I mean we were there on it was around one o'clock on Saturday afternoon. You would think it's prime time <laughs> you know at a shopping center there was a Macy's there. I love me some Macy's anyway it was it looked to be really more of a dead zone than anything else, and so we just reflected on you know what malls used to be like and how full that parking lot could have been at a different time. And frankly, how now it looks like an awful waste of space. And then I caught last evening on the news, a mall in Toronto is doing this. And I wonder if others will follow suit. Think of, for example, Frederick Mall in Kitchener, which has that uh, electric go-kart track, racetrack on the lower level. All of these different ideas that might not be typically associated with a mall. The story I saw on the news last night, pickleball. It's pickleball in the mall, at least at one mall in Toronto. And I, I might, I'd be surprised if more malls don't follow suit because this is, as we know, one of the fastest-growing sports anywhere. I still don't quite get it myself. I'm not a pickleballer, but hey, if you're into pickleball, one of the things we hear a lot about, not enough places to play. Maybe malls which don't have the same retail component anymore could be a solution to that. An update from the City News Centre, and then the little neighbourhood connector that could. And it's getting a lot bigger. We'll talk about it coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Well, just before that update with Christine, I called it the little neighbourhood connector that could. And I said it that way because I'm a fan, of course, of the children's book. Everybody, I think I can, I think I can. But this little neighborhood connector has grown and grown and continues to grow, celebrating its seventh anniversary at the big meeting tonight at where else? Morty's, but more on that in a moment. Uh, Jason Kipfer joins me in studio. Jason is the co-founder and chair of Eastbridge Business Connections, but I think we should add to this, Jason, and so much more. <laughs> nice to see you. Thanks for stopping by.
8: Mike, thank you very much for welcoming me back. This is an exciting opportunity for myself and our group and what we're doing, and it's really nice to see you in person again.
2: How did this all get started for you?
8: It started out as a simple Facebook post on our Eastbridge Neighborhood Association Facebook page. Really, just uh, you know, I work from my office, my home office, like many others do, and I wanted to stay connected with my local community. I have a long history having worked with the KW Chamber, with Todd and Ian and so forth over the years. And I put a, a post out on the F- neighborhood Facebook page to see if anybody wanted to connect over a beverage at a, at a local pub. And a dozen and a half people uh, agreed to uh, come out in the inclement weather we had. Huge snowfall. We ended up at St. Louis Bar and Grill. And it was just a real casual um, get to know each other. And uh, it, it quickly snowballed into... An activity that people wanted to participate in informally on a monthly or some kind of uh, recurring basis.
2: So you've had a really busy year six, if you will, as you're moving in to celebrate the start of year seven. What's been going on the past 12 months?
8: So the last time I was on your show was in December of 2022, and we were getting ready for our 2023 uh, uh, season or program year, if you will. And at the time, we had two chapters. Uh, we had the Lakeshore, we had the Eastbridge Group, and we expanded to Lakeshore to have a Lakeshore Business Connections, and that was in 2019. Last year, we further expanded uh, to include Westmount, and we have a Westmount Business Connections. We had uh, a great mother-daughter combo, uh, who are probably the, the hardest-working mother-daughter combo I, I know out there, who have been coming to our meetups regularly and said, hey, you know what, we've moved to Westmount area we would really like to do something uh, similar to this model in Westmount. And we kicked off their inaugural meetup at uh, what better place than the Westmount Golf and Country Club. Absolutely. Then, and as you know, Mike, we've been uh, getting interest and in, in active participation far beyond just, the, I'll say, the boundaries of Eastbridge proper. We, we quickly caught the ears and interest of many from across Kitchener and Waterloo, and we started to see people coming in from Cambridge and outside of Waterloo Region. And we had a great guy, uh, Peter, out of uh, East Zora Tavistock, who had been coming for many years. And he finally said, you know what, there's such great things happening in and around Tavistock, we'd like to kick off a Tavistock ch- chapter. So in October, we uh, got ourselves together. I helped uh, just with some marketing and promotion with Peter, and Peter's the local uh, champion in the community there. So we had a great uh, inaugural meetup in East Zora Tavistock and also in the process we were getting ourselves organized to launch a Woolwich Business Connections to engage the residents and businesses within Elmira, St. Jacob's, Conestogo, and the Breslau area which is what we're looking at for four meetup locations and we're going to have our first um, meetup for Woolwich Business Connections next month at the Crowsfoot Smokehouse in Conestogo. Um, just as we were getting together uh, this morning here, or getting myself organized, I let you know that we're now expanding to Guelph as well. We, had, uh, we have a number of people that come in from the Guelph area, and one young man wanted to really bring the movement to the Guelph area, and I asked him how Guelph was organized, and he said it's kind of a North Guelph, South Guelph area, catchment area. We don't need these groups in every single neighborhood across every single city, and that it was never the intention. But he said he would like to start a North Guelph chapter, kind of stone road and going north. So he called me Friday night and said, hey, we're locked and loaded March 5th for the uh, uh, Boston Pizza in North Guelph to uh, you know, further expand this. And as you know, I have people from Cambridge as well as a young man who relocated from the area who's been coming to our events for quite a number of years up to the Sudbury area. And he's kind of done a pivot in his career looking for ways to uh, further brand himself and bring awareness uh, to what he does in the community, but also a very passionate community individual and uh, asked me about some ideas about how far north I wanted to really bring this uh, grassroots initiative. So I'm having some conversations with him and and we'll see what happens.
2: Did you ever imagine, Jason, from that Facebook post seven years ago, that we'd be here talking today about expansion, if you will, perhaps as far north as Sudbury? Uh,
8: Not not one iota, Mike. Um, It was really, again, just to have fun with, uh, have fun with and connect with local residents. And you know I'm a big believer in in supporting small businesses. I really believe that the Canadian economy is built on the backs of small businesses. And I've always said to people, you know, we, we love and enjoy having small businesses, restaurants, boutique shops in our backyards. The unfortunate reality is that when they close their doors, we all cry the blues. But the irony is that we drive by their businesses four or five times a day going to school, Work, grocery shopping, kids' activities, and sporting events. So, the idea for us with our initiative has always been to make the area a more inclusive, safe, and welcoming place to live, work, play, and shop. Really emphasizing the shop aspect. And there's many groups out there that are doing wonderful things to support businesses of all sizes. Um, it's been important to me that people have uh, people are exposed to and actively come out to those uh, local businesses. It's great, as you know, when you go into a a restaurant or a business, and the owner or the staff come up to you and acknowledge your presence, thank you for the business see you in, and it's it 's part of community it 's what makes um, you know when you go to a small rural community, everybody knows you i 'll say for better or for worse but uh, <laughs> but when you go into those businesses and you have a personal connection, that really changes your mindset and mentality of that business because it 's easy to talk about that business when you 've never been there. Uh, But when you actually take the time to build the relationships and enjoy the food or buy the products and services, it takes it all to the next level.
2: I love the fourth that you've added to live, work, play. And shop, and I want to explore that a little bit further, Uh, but we got to take a quick break, so stay with us. Jason Kipfer is the co-founder and chair of Eastbridge Business Connections, today marking seven years since that first Facebook post. We'll talk about the shop part of live, work, and play as we continue on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570, and Rogers TV. Jason Kipfer is the co-founder and chair of Eastbridge Business Connections, believes in living, working, playing in one's own community. And oh yeah, don't forget the shopping part. And that's what I wanted to just touch on a little bit further here, Jason, because while this is an opportunity for business people to network, it's, it's not competitive per se. You're all collaborating to support one another and really emphasize that shopping piece of this.
8: Absolutely, Mike. Thanks. Um, being uh, kind of, a, I'll say, a grassroots initiative that is really community oriented, um, I, do, I do promote ourselves as the region's largest and fastest growing community-based networking group. And it's been important to me uh, from, the, from the career that I'm in that, that uh, local businesses are supported and they do play a vital role in community development. And, and as I mentioned on the break, they are kind of the backbone of the Canadian economy. So, creating an opportunity for business for individuals, A, not only to, to build and foster and strengthen their own relationships with the neighbors in their in their on their street in their neighborhood, but they should be out connecting with local businesses and letting them know that they're appreciated for for where, for making that investment in the community and to support them. You know, it's easy to pass by these businesses on the way to work, school, sporting events, and so forth. But when these businesses, unfortunately, close their doors, you know, there's a lot of chatter about, it's unfortunate we lost this business. But the reality is we drive by these businesses three, four, five times a day and don't bat an eye. So I really challenge your listeners as they're coming home tonight or leaving to go to the grocery store to think about the businesses that exist between their house and their final destination and to go in and and to make an introduction, to connect with the owner, to thank them for their investment in their community because, you know, they hire our children, they hire our neighbors, they procure locally, and what people often forget about is they support local uh, community initiatives and sporting events. You know, a lot of people come out to me and ask me about the success I've had in in almost having 40 businesses uh, commit to being our annual meetup door prize sponsors and what's my magic trick to get these businesses to support. The irony is that I don't ask any of them. They see the value that I'm giving back to the community, and they've asked me about creative ways that they can give back to what I'm doing. The challenge is, is to go into these businesses after COVID as they've emerged from COVID. And now, you know, having many of them have had to make that tough decision about paying that SIBA loan back as well, too. Going into this, these businesses and with their out, saying, how can you support my kids' teams this year? It's a valid ask and it's a worthy ask. But these people have no existing relationship with the businesses. And the businesses, they struggled during the the, uh, the pandemic shutdown. So um, you really, you know, it does pay dividends to build relationships in your community with your neighbors and your businesses, because there are business owners that are looking for creative opportunities to support really valuable initiatives in their backyards, but they don't know who those people are and they would like to do it with an existing relationship in place. So again, challenging residents of our community to, to develop friendships with those local businesses.
2: One of your newest initiatives under this East Bridge Business Connections umbrella is the Locally Connected Community Hub. What's that all about?
8: Thanks, Mike. So I've been thinking about something like this for about a year and a half ago um, or a year and a half now. And I've been wanting to do something more than just being known as a place that offers opportunities for networking. Albeit, they're very casual and relaxed, and I tell people you'll never see anybody with a suit and tie. No one's uh, cornering you with those uncomfortable conversations, pushing business cards down your throat and that sort of thing. But we've wanted to branch out, and there's some great people in the community that have wanted to support me in doing other initiatives within the community. And so I thought, what could we do that was uh, – could, how could we brand ourselves with some kind of overarching brand so I, I chatted a lot with our volunteer chairs and my advisory board about what makes sense to best represent something bigger than what we're doing individually today. And so the locally connected community hub uh, came up with a lot of uh, banter and recommendations and discussion with my committee. And luckily enough, I was able to secure the locallyconnected.ca domain name. So we have our website, which is uh, full, fully operational with lots of valuable information and great ways to register For our meetups, so this brand will allow us to look at uh, going further into community when I have um, additional volunteer support to make those types of things come to life.
2: So tonight, and just to bring it full circle, I love what you said earlier about the number of times every day we would drive by a local business. How much attention do we really pay? If you happen to be by Morty's, King & University, I don't think I need to tell you that part because I think everybody knows Morty's by now, but you're celebrating seven years with a meet-up tonight. If somebody happens to be passing by and wants to take the initiative, do you have room to fit them in?
8: Oh, uh, We do have room. We uh, Last year we were 101 uh, attendees it's at incredible. Morty's Pub and, and Jay Taylor uh, has been supporting us as a door prize sponsor and a host for many years now. He's a fantastic guy and and I, I still tell people that Morty's is a local institution, uh, and he challenged me last year. He said, "I want to I want to bring your group back for the seventh anniversary, and I will challenge you to fill the entire pub, top to bottom, all three floors." And I said, "I said Jay, that's a great challenge. I accept that challenge. What's the capacity?" And he said, "150 people." And we are we're 151 right now. Wow. But you know what? Uh, there's always some folks that come down with. Uh, Uh, you know uh, might be not feeling the best of sorts maybe traveling so I do expect a few no-shows today and that's okay but uh, it's a great venue we have a lot of fun there and there's a lot of uh, in fact a lot of new names and faces I've never seen before that showed up on the RSVP list which I'm really really excited about.
2: You talked during our commercial break about some of the initiatives that Eastbridge Business Connections has gotten involved with one of them being the lincoln heights uh food program which i know jay and soupy at morty's are a big part of as well but what other sorts of things are you involved with in the community as a group
8: sure and we're looking to uh, provide that added value again uh, back to the community and during our november meetup at the schooner street brewery in waterloo we raised uh, 490 dollars for the lincoln heights uh, breakfast program which was fantastic lisa was on site Uh, She really appreciated that. Uh, Every year during our regional festive connections meetup where we pull and invite all of our members from all of our chapters to come together. We were at the Pickle Barrel and at Conestoga Mall. Uh, This is the second year we invited the Knights of Columbus back uh, to support an unwrapped toy drive for their needy kids uh, toy drive program. This year we collected 120 unwrapped toys with $80 uh, towards the program as well. And also in the fall, we collected 147 pounds of uh, uh, non-perishable food for the food bank, which was fantastic.
2: Is locallyconnected.ca the best place to go online for information?
8: Yes, it is. And we're on Facebook with all of our individual chapters as well. But uh, since I'm wearing my Eastbridge Business Connections hat today, you can certainly uh, look us up online through the Facebook as well.
2: I uh, I love what you're doing and how it's growing. I wish you continued success, and thanks very much for stopping by again for the show.
8: I appreciate the opportunity, and I'm going to continue to challenge to get you out to one of our meetups this year when your time allows. One of these days is going
2: to happen. Jason Kipfer is the co-founder and chair of Eastbridge Business Connections. Find them on Facebook. Also check out locallyconnected.ca. That's how we try to be on this show, connected locally. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Just a couple of minutes away from 11 o'clock and your update from the City News Center. Devin Robertson is our guy on the other side of the glass. Devin, I'm going to put something to the test here. I have this wackadoodle theory that most guys, most guys at one time or another in their life have decided either one of two things. One, they're going to open a bar with their buddies. (laughs) Two, they're going to start a band with their buddies. Yep. Have either of these things occurred in your existence yet?
8: I've definitely had the bar talk. (laughs) Of course you have, right? (laughs) Of course,
9: absolutely. I've had the bar talk. I've had friends try and convince me to do the band talk. Okay. But I have no musical anything, really. I have headphones to listen to music. Sure. But uh, in regards to, you know, talent or ability or the
8: knowledge of how to play an instrument, uh, let's use the word lacking.
2: Talent or ability? Have you ever heard the Beatles? I'm sorry, I shouldn't do that. I always pick on Beatles fans, I don't know why. I think I like my music a little more complex, but I'll just leave that over here before people really start hating on me. So, I'm exactly the same. We've never taken the step, and I think it's getting too late now for me to take the step of the bar. But, way back when, and I said when we started Southern Bug, the band... That I'm only participating in this if we play a gig somewhere. I don't care where, we just need to play a gig somewhere.
9: Okay, yeah, something validated.
2: Right, we never played a gig. We played (laughs) in my basement a little bit, nonetheless. I bring this up because our next guest, I better get his name right here, Ryan O'Donnell has actually taken that step. He started the band with his friends. It's called Red Output, and we'll meet Ryan and hear their latest single, Next. So much for Southern Bug, but Red Output. Indie rockers out of Kitchener. Join the Mike Farwell show next. This is City News 570.
4: See the light on the floor from at the door I'll step out so I can see clearly there's like the knocks on doors you'll see. So I keep waiting and waiting and waiting.
2: Little bit of local rock for you from Kitchener based band Red Output. What you're hearing is the latest single by the band it's called rafters just released yesterday singer and guitarist for red output is ryan o'donnell who joins us on the program ryan good morning hello hello good morning how does it feel hearing your song at least a bit of it played on the radio
5: yeah i mean yeah it's amazing i uh <laughs> i don't know it's yeah wow incredible i just got out of a lecture and now i'm hearing my song on the radio this is yeah this is crazy
2: what's more fun the lecture or hearing your song on the radio
5: Yeah, it's just a little bit better, that's for sure.
2: (laughs) I was hoping that would be your answer. It's great to get you on the show. Can you tell me a little bit about how Red Output was formed?
5: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so Red Output's been around for around three or four years. Um, Me and Brent, uh, the other vocalist and guitarist, met in high school. Um, And then Thomas and I, who's uh, Thomas is the bassist, we met at a summer camp. Uh, Brought him on board and then brought our drummer Chandler on board uh kind of when covid was starting up which was kind of bad timing um but it allowed us to um yeah it allowed us to focus in on uh recording and kind of um getting our sound down so that we could record our first singles and our ep um yeah and then after doing a lot of recording we kind of uh start of uh, 2022 end of 2021 we were like you know what we want to be a live band we want to play shows like this is what being in a band is all about so we kind of took our focus from from recording music and kind of put it towards, yeah, playing live shows all around Ontario, which has been really fun. Uh, and then we kind of realized, we were like, you know what, we gotta we got to get back into recording because our sound doesn't sound like what it does on our release music. So Rafters is kind of a first glimpse at that for anyone who's hearing it for
2: the first time. Who is uh, weirder in the band, Thomas or Chandler? Because bassists and drummers are just weird, right? That's a
5: that's a good question. (laughs) Thomas Thomas and Chandler are are both very, very chill, very down to earth. So that's a that's a good question. I'd say maybe some more of the wonkiness is coming from Brent and I. Uh, But yeah, we're definitely all very different. That's for sure.
2: You talk about the sound on rafters being, you know, maybe more evolved, I think, as a band matures. Mm-hmm. That's what happens from your earlier stuff, which would, of course, uh, have come off your first EP, right? Which was uh, yeah. Projections Through Rose-Colored Glass. But yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, Ryan, from the very beginning, how did you all decide that making music was something you wanted to do?
5: Yeah, yeah, I think we were all we were talking about this the other day, we were all kind of looking for a space to be able to to create the, the music that we love, which was, you know, uh, rock, indie rock, something in there, alternative rock. Um, um, and, and we kind of wanted a space where we could do that, but then take a little bit further. And I think from the beginning, we all, we all like had a big emphasis on the lyrics of the song. Um, and we would, we would s- spend a lot of time and we still do Making sure that the lyrics made a lot of sense and making sure that the songs were important to us um, from a lyrical aspect, so I think from the beginning it was just about finding a space where we could play this music that we like to hear um, but then just kind of take it a step further and try to um, yeah try to combine all the different aspects of of the music that we like whether that's you know we have we have people in the band who like uh, like Chandler likes like some heavier rock even into the metal and then we um, you know, we're bringing influences from pop and psychedelic music into it. So yeah, we kind of wanted to. We loved rock, but we wanted to combine all the
2: all the elements. Who are your musical inspirations?
5: Oh yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I definitely yeah, I definitely listen to a lot of a lot of indie rock music. Definitely recently, a lot of um, kind of a newer wave of like post punk revival kind of music. But um, you know, I've I've always from the music that I've that I heard, like my family playing or my dad playing growing up, obviously listening to a lot of rock, a lot of ca- like Canadian rock. Um, but you know, I, I think that when I got into my teens, I kind of I kind of started to listen to what I kind of wanted to he- to hear. So I, I guess what you're hearing on Red Output is, at this point, the kind of music that we like to listen to, especially these new singles, especially these new singles.
2: Where did you come up with the name Red Output?
5: Red Output, yeah. So that happened in, up in the studio. Um, there is a, um, so My Attic is our studio and my home in Kitchener. Uh, and it has a little place in the room that comes out from the wall and, and it's painted red. And we record all of our tracks in there for our EP. Um, and so, you know, output is a musical term. It's, you know, the output, uh, the musical output. And so we combined, you know, the output, of the wall coming out and the musical term, I guess. And we came up with Red Output and we've kind of s-
2: stuck with it. I I love that the studio is the attic in your home in Kitchener. How mm-hmm. do mom and dad feel about rock and roll rehearsals in the attic?
5: Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that they, they, definitely <laughs> get, they definitely get a little sick of it, but now that I'm away at school and, and we're all a little separated, location-wise as the band they definitely do miss it as loud as it can get at times Um, they definitely do miss hearing the music in the house and yeah i mean the attic's been a great place for us i think that no matter where we are rehearsing or playing like the attic is it's a very important space and even though it's very cold in the winter and very sweaty in the summer it's it's very special to us for sure
2: yeah, there's that's what comes I I actually when I was younger, the, the room that my brother and I shared was the attic of the house. So I can mm. relate completely yeah. to what yeah. you mean by cold in the wintertime and hot as blazes in the summertime.
5: Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's very, very warm.
2: <laughs> What's it like, Ryan, for musicians today? Like we started this by talking about oh, you know, how does it feel when you hear your song played on the radio, which used to be Kind of the be all and end all, or at least one of them, right? If you were yeah. getting your song some airplay on the radio, you had you had really made it, and and that yeah. was uh, you know a part of the the journey towards yeah. bigger and better things. I, I get the sense now in the space with so many artists, the ability to record, to stream, etc. I mean, how do you find your space and all of that? What's it like for a yeah. musician today?
5: Yeah, I think for us, like we've had a lot of um, kind of benchmarks that we've gone to that were like, wow, we've We've made it, and some of those were as small as, you know, releasing a song and getting a thousand listens, and then it's, uh, you know, playing our first show, and then it's playing our first sold out show. So I think for us, it's always just about the next thing, um, and, and that we're always kind of, um, you know, getting a little bit uh, bigger and a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I'd say that, like, with the whole, like, kind of local indie scene, there's just, yeah, there's just, like, so, so many bands, and it's such a um, such a great scene in Ontario right now. And I think that um, we're kind of trying to, you know, bring something different with our music and bring something different with our live performance for people who've seen us or are going to see us that will, you know, hopefully stand out a little bit uh, among the sea of bands that are playing right now. Um, but yeah, I think we we love where we're sitting in the, the scene right now, and we love all the bands we're surrounded by. So I think we're just trying to yeah, sit in that right now and hopefully bring something that's a little different.
2: You, you mentioned earlier that you've just come out of a lecture and you've gone away to school. So obviously you haven't given up everything for the rock and roll lifestyle or yeah. trying to make it big just yet. But not yet, I guess. But if you're still playing and you're still releasing new music, obviously you're not giving up on the idea that music mm-hmm. could be something that helps you make yeah. a living someday.
5: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something we talked about is if it came to the point of um, getting offered from another band to, uh, like, a bigger band uh, to join them on some shows in Ontario or Canada, or if we really wanted to hone in on recording a project or playing a lot of shows. We, we've talked about, you know, taking a little bit of time off for that, whether that's, you know, a semester for school or really committing a summer to it. Um, but I think, yeah, I think going forward, we're just working as much as we can when we're apart and then when we're together, just really going at it. And if something comes from that, then I think we're all ready to to give it what it's got. Yeah.
2: Where can people find Red Output's music, Ryan, or maybe even see you performing live sometime down the road?
5: Yes, yeah, great question. So you can find us on all streaming platforms as well as all social media. Uh, we're definitely the most active on Instagram. Uh, so yeah, definitely go follow our Instagram, which is just Red Output. Um, You can also find all that info on redoutput.com. And on that website, you'll also be able to find uh, tickets to our next show, uh, which is uh, February 17th at The Hub in downtown Kitchener with Lost in Japan and Millhouse. Yeah, if you want some cheaper tickets, just send us a note on any platform and we'll, uh, we'll put your name down.
2: Ryan, I love what you're doing and the passion behind it. Uh, Keep up the great work, and I look forward to the next release and the next opportunity for us to see Red Output live. Thanks for being here today.
5: Thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate it.
2: Enjoy your day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Ryan O'Donnell is a singer, guitarist with Red Output. They just released their latest single, which is called Rafters. It follows up on their debut EP, Through the Rose-Colored Glass. And they got a song on there called uh, You Can Tell She's a Frog by Her Demeanor. I mean, how can you not be tempted by a song like that? I listened to most of it this morning, most of that original EP. Great stuff from a local indie rock band based in Kitchener. Who knows what's next for Red Output? Uh, What's next immediately for this program is a quick timeout. But when we come back, speaking of this community and really any community. There's a, there's a, there's a job that is being... That people are turning their noses down or noses up to. Anyway, that's less attractive today than it has been in the past. And it, it's a job that makes me raise an eyebrow. I'm like, why wouldn't you want a job? But maybe that's my perspective as a slightly older individual. But younger people, it's getting tougher and tougher to attract them to this particular job. And I find that surprising. We'll we'll talk about that next on the Mike Farwell show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. So there's a job out there that is increasingly difficult to recruit for. And From where I sit today, certainly after having spent several decades now in the job that I'm doing and have seen a bunch of other jobs evolve, been attracted to other jobs along the way, sorry, current job, I did maybe at least have a wandering eye from time to time. But this comes out of the Rural Ontario Municipal Association Conference last week. Uh, It's known as ROMA here in the province, And, and the job that is being difficult to recruit for these days is a municipal job. It's hard to find city workers. Now, if you're anything like me, you raise your eyebrow because you think, a uh, decent paying job. We know that public sector work tends to pay anywhere from 15 to 30% higher than private sector work, depending on which estimate you're leaning on that particular day, not to mention, the benefits, including pension plans, this Omer's pension plan is a pretty lucrative pension plan, takes pretty good care of you. And to me, again, as, as somebody in his 50s now, I think those are pretty darn good perks to have, right? A decent wage, good benefits, a pension, which you don't get in a whole lot of places these days, etc. Certainly not a pension as strong as the Omer's pension, but for whatever reason, it's more and more difficult to recruit for these jobs. Now, one of the issues and this one absolutely has to be addressed is the difficulty with which somebody who is working for a municipality if they are being harassed by an elected member of the council of that municipality. I don't have to take you much further back than the city of Ottawa about 18 months or so ago, and it was pretty awful stuff that had been going on for considerable time and the staffers for love nor money, could not get rid of or do anything really about that counselor who was so far offside in so many ways. That's absolutely something that has to be addressed. But one of the other things that jumped out at me from the story is 20-somethings, they say, are not thinking about pensions. So my appeal to you would be as parents, please talk to your 20-somethings about pensions and the value (laughs) of them. Of them. I don't mean stay in a rotten job just because it has a pension. I don't mean that at all. But I just find it really interesting that well-paying jobs with good benefits are difficult to attract for today. But what came out of the Rural Ontario Municipalities Association conference last week, meetings over a couple of days, is that it's all about the culture. It's all about... You know, forget what you're paying me and what the benefits are and the pension plan. What's the culture like within your organization? And what kind of lifestyle can I have around the schedule? Do you offer anything hybrid? These are the sorts of things that today's employee is looking for. So whereas an employee of my generation would be like, good pay, good benefits, solid pension, I'm in. Employees today are like, what's in it for me? What are the hours? Can I work from home? And by the way, is anybody going to harass me while I'm there? Should have been a good question that last one all around, but I found this interesting. It's tough to find people to work for the city. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Just a little PS on that story I was telling you a moment ago. Raised at the Rural Ontario Municipalities Association meetings last week that it's difficult to find municipal workers. I have heard anecdotally, mind you, but from someone who would be in the know right here in this region who said that their municipality was having serious conversations about increasing wages because it's almost merciless out there. If you're paying me $25 an hour to do the job, even though you have great benefits and a pension plan, but somebody across the street is going to pay me $25.75 to do the job, I'm going over there for the extra $0.75 an hour, even if it doesn't have the great benefits and the stable pension. Because, again, going back to the story that I shared and why it's been difficult to recruit people to work for municipalities, 20-somethings aren't thinking about pensions. They just want what they can get now, and I'm not saying that with any kind of scorn in my voice. I get it. You do you. From my perch at this stage of my career, trust me, kids, you want the pension. You want to find the stability, the decent wages, and the pension. But imagine now if you're that municipality that's already paying down the road for the benefits and the pensions, etc. Now you're going to pay more up front just to keep the people from going across the street for another 75 cents an hour. This is where we're at in the job market, at least the municipal job market. All right, time to get you an update from the City News Center, and then it's Monday. It's 1130. That means David Drew joins us for Drew's Views next on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570, and Rogers TV.
8: (laughs) Has anybody heard from Crazy Dave? Has anybody heard from Crazy Dave? Has anybody heard from Crazy Dave? Now, that cat couldn't spell to win a bet, but he carried this battered notebook full of his poetry. More soul per square word than the Lord's Prayer. He was the kind of guy that called a spade a shovel, and a violin a fiddle, and a lady ma'am. And I don't even know why I think of him now. Maybe because he never told me a lie he'd have to apologize for later. Because he'd speak to a guy straight. Eyeball to bloodshot eyeball. Like he'd never even had a secret.
2: That's our man, David. As if it was, I mean... Did Scott actually write that with you in mind?
10: He wrote that long Oop.
2: before. He wrote that go. long before he'd met me.
10: Really? Yeah. It fits so well though. Well, and that's why I picked it. <laughs> and, and also just to we occasionally get to give a shout out to Scott Wicken and, you know, hopefully somebody's going to go, that was pretty cool.
2: I'm going to look that guy up and oh, he happens to be somewhere and I'm going to go see it. Exactly. Very talented fellow putting together the perfect intro, even though he didn't know he was at the time for David Drew, who joins us every Monday at 11.30 for Drew's views. David has founded Negotiating Change, Government Relations, Stakeholder Engagement Strategies and, of course, David has spent considerable time in his professional life working in the offices, the hallowed halls of Parliament. Let's talk about that Emergencies Act that never had to be invoked, David Drew. Of course, the Feds are going to appeal but the initial ruling it's interesting isn't it it's very interesting um
10: i'm going to be a bit weird here so i hope your listeners are going to indulge me i really kind of wish that the feds wouldn't appeal because i think a tie game in a situation like this to make the analogy is the best we can hope for Um, The Rouleau Commission came out and said, yeah, it was justified, but oh, boy, it was an ugly situation. And it's like, you know, a fifty-one forty-nine decision. And now this judge comes out and says, you know, I probably would have voted in favor of it at the time. In hindsight, it's a bad thing. Um, You know, nobody is sitting here saying there is an ironclad right or wrong. Everybody's looking at this as shades of gray. And let's say that this ruling stands. So What? let's say this ruling is overturned, so what? It's not like anybody's going to be charged with anything. It's not like there's going to be any damages imposed. Um, At the time when we were talking about this, I felt like it was overreach. And me as an individual, I kind of really like this latest decision. It doesn't say the whole thing was bad. It singles out a couple things like, you know, having the bank start freezing bank accounts without any any clarity on whose bank accounts and what the thresholds are. That seemed like a little bit of overreach to me, and I wasn't sure how shutting down the dollars at that point was going to make a difference to clearing trucks out of Ottawa. But I really agree with this latest judge, where it's like, I'm really glad I didn't have to be making that decision. It was not a clear-cut decision to make. I think they erred, but I might have made that same mistake so I'm just not sure what the benefit is to going over this. You know, right now you've got one judge who says it was fair, regrettably, and another judge who says it was unfair, but he might have made the same mistake. Do you think anybody's going to come out and say, no, the federal government was perfect on this? Or do you think anybody's going to come out and say, no, the federal government just absolutely did everything, everything wrong? Like, I understand why the federal government's going to appeal this, but is it going to change your mind? Is it going to change my mind at this point? And what if it's a fourth redecision decision at the Supreme Court? Like, what does that even mean? So what's the point?
2: You know, it's an excellent way to look at it. I just, I'm reflecting, David, when you talk about overreach, because I also thought that the application of the Emergencies Act to clear out a protest that had also overreached was overreach. We got a whole hell of a lot. If we're being fair... Just fair about this. We have a whole hell of a lot of overreach going on both sides of this issue.
1: Yes.
10: I, I really did find, though, in the decision, one of the neat, interesting things that the judge found in making his decision was Jason Kenny, And Jason Kenney had managed to clear out the most problematic, where the guns were actually discovered in coots, without not only without the Federal Emergencies Act, but without imposing any Provincial Emergencies Act. He just used the tools that were at his disposal and decided this was a problem. And we talked about this a lot at the time, but is it does it rise to the level of a federal emergency because Doug Ford is sitting on his hands? And I I would say no. The federal government felt yes. Like was there a problem in Ottawa? Yes. Was it the federal government's mess? Not in any way at all. Was it the Ottawa police's mess? Abs-a-smurfly, Should the province have done more to support or direct Ottawa police? Probably, but, you know, if all of a sudden the province came in here and took over from our police chief, I'm not sure what the local politics reaction would be. I can understand why there was hesitation, but the Federal Emergencies Act, just because some people aren't doing their jobs? Eh, That's where I fell down on it. But, like, reasonable people can disagree on this. And I think it's better for us to be having reasonable conversations about the shades of gray and where we need to fall on them than to try and sit there and say this was right or wrong.
3: Yeah,
2: fair. I fall down with you, though, in the same place on this. The Federal Emergencies Act it becoming a federal problem when, essentially, it was a police service not doing its job. Okay, you have attached to your notes today UN cuts. Surely you're not about to tell me that Canada should withdraw from.
10: No, but (laughs) Canada did suspend funding to um, the UNWRA, the agency that provides aid to Palestine and Gaza. And we are one of a dozen. There's not a single member of the G7 left who, are, who hasn't suspended their aid. There was one article I saw this morning from Reuters that is saying it's up to 190 employees of this agency that Israel is saying they've only identified the 12 so far. And they've got more work to do. But when you get down to what these people are being accused of doing, it was moving hostages between locations after the fact. It was facilitating the transfer of Israeli soldier corpses to the Gaza side of the wall so they could mutilate them. Unproven. But boy, oh boy, Stephen Harper suspended funding to this agency because he felt it was too close to Hamas and terrorist agencies. And the liberals came in and restarted that funding. And here we are now and I can't blame any country in the world for walking away from this. But, you know, you, you brought this up and saying, you know, am I suggesting we should get out of the UN? And the main reason why I say we shouldn't get out of the UN is my, the same concern I have with cutting funding to this agency. What's the other game? Like, if I'm not going to be playing in the NHL, where am I going to be playing? Oh, junior B? Because what is there other than the U.N.? As the, and who is going to be helping Gaza if the U.N. can't get in there? It's, it's really scary on all levels, but it's inevitable. Like, if 12 people from any organization were found to be doing this, it might have even been a bigger stink.
2: I like the analogy, if you're not playing in the NHL. Where do you end up? All right. I saw some polling last night, and boy, oh, boy, it must be a good day for Pierre Poiliev. We'll see. We'll talk about that. Plus, descent in the ranks with David Drew as we continue Drew's Views this Monday morning on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Star
8: 570.
2: David Drew is the owner of Negotiating Change, Government Relations, Stakeholder Engagement Strategies joins us every Monday morning, 11.30, for Drew's views, dissent in the ranks. I should have checked this during the commercial break, but it's got to be the Liberal MP who thought the party needed a leadership review and no longer does need a leadership review. Old McDonald had a grief, E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> yeah, Ken McDonald out of Newfoundland, um...
10: It was amazing. Like, it is really worth either taking the time to read or watch the two statements from him. Where on the one day, he's like, I think it's time we need a leadership review. Everybody has a best before date, and I think we've reached ours. And a bit more than 24 hours later, he's like, "Uh, I was never calling for a leadership review. I don't don't (laughs) understand how people could have misinterpreted me so. And... There were two things about that I really found amazing. Like, first of all, this guy, for people who are unfamiliar, he's probably more responsible than any other Liberal MP for the Atlantic Canada carbon tax carve out on heat pumps and heating oil. He's been a thorn in the side of the Prime Minister willing to speak out and speak his mind more crassly and more often than the average Liberal MP. But all the same, coming out as a member of the governing caucus to say it's time for a leadership review, it's... It it grabbed headlines as it should have. But it wasn't within four hours that he retracted. It wasn't the next morning. It wasn't at the lunch hour. It was barely in time for the evening news. So there was a whole day on the news cycle where this went unchallenged. And he apparently didn't realize how it was being interpreted. (laughs) It's just. You know, Ken McDonald is not going to swing the liberal caucus. This is not a person who he rises up and everybody's going to go, let's stand behind Ken. But, you know, he's sitting there thinking, what have I got to lose? He doesn't sign my nomination papers. Well, I'm probably going to lose anyway. (sighs) But I'm pretty sure it's his caucus colleagues who are like, dude, you're not being helpful. You're not being helpful to us. And a lot of the time... That peer pressure is a lot more influential than anything that comes down from the prime minister's office. And second thing I'll mention is a lot of the time the whip will get the bad rep for laying down the boot to somebody. And all the
2: whip is doing is what caucus demands. So that's interesting then because I wondered about this. Like who got to Ken McDonald? And you're suggesting it was his caucus colleagues, not perhaps the prime minister's office. I would expect... I am put it this
10: way. I'm sure it was his caucus colleagues who were either calling him or calling up saying, what the heck? Because you've got to understand when somebody goes off reservation on minor things, MPs are calling up going, what the heck is going on? Why? Because a lot of the time they want to be saying the same stuff and they're wondering why they can't. Other times they are like, this dude is peeing on my garden. What is going on? And so, yeah, it might have been the PMO. I really think it would have been the WHIP's office, though. And I can recall sometimes while I was on the Hill where I would be like, "Guys," because I had a lot of friends in the WHIP's office, and I'd be like, "Guys, why are you so like? Why do you think this is coming from us?" And I'm like, "PMO," and they're like, "No, it's all of you guys. All we are doing is trying to keep the caucus happy." <laughs> um, so I, I expect it would have come down through the WHIP's office. But as to how it started, was it? from caucus colleagues or from PMO first, I imagine they're having trouble remembering what happened first. (laughs) Because I imagine a lot of people saw it on their phones and did something and thought they were first.
2: (laughs) Right. Okay. Uh, I saw some polling numbers last night. Granted, they're almost a week old now, but nonetheless. Uh, and, And they were so striking that even my beloved who was on the couch watching the news with me, it caught her attention. She's like, Oh, my goodness, there's something along those lines. But bottom line is the Conservatives with a monster lead, 13, 14 points, I believe, on the Liberals. Uh, is the Liberal Party justifiably frightened at this point?
10: It feels like they're flailing more. Um, and it's not that they look scared. It's that their actions look scared. Um, in my cheeky little note to you, I said, according to the liberals, PP needs more P. Yeah, I couldn't make that make sense, I'm afraid. Whenever they are asked about anything, their response is to demand where Pierre poliev stands on it, because we haven't seen any policy from him. Policy. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, a little bit of that is always fair. But the way it's been coming out since Christmas has been increasingly like this is a government auditioning for opposition. They do not want to govern. They want to hold Pierre Polyev accountable. And generally, if you run for opposition, you're going to end up there. So I do not understand why they are spending so much time. It's like, yes, they have to go after him. But when a journalist asks them a question about the issue of the day and they lead back with the conservatives or Pierre Polyev, it doesn't look like they're going after Pierre Polyev. It looks like they are dodging accountability. Probably not a good thing. The other one, though, was Danielle Smith appeared with Tucker Carlson last week. And she asked Tucker Carlson to put uh, Stephen Guibault in his crosshairs and help her get him fired. And Randy Boissoneau and other assorted liberals went on a crazy-ass tour saying that Daniel Smith and, by association, Pierre Polyev were calling for violence against Stephen Guibault. I'm sorry, that is so desperate. <laughs> that is crosshairs? It's like, no, it's such a colloquialism. It's such an everyday, like, imagine trying to call a hockey game without using any violent metaphors. This is politics. You know, war by other means. Blah, blah, blah. Crosshairs. But to hear it going out there, she would have been saying, and I want you to go out there and shoot Stephen Gibault in the face. (laughs) And it was nothing at all like that. And it's just, you know, there was so much wrong with Tucker Carlson and Daniel Smith being on a stage together. Why did they have to make something up? And that is where they are getting in trouble. You know, when they are asked about one of their failings, they don't sit there and say, well, this is what's going on or no, you are wrong about that. They say, but Pierre Polyev, we're two years out from an election. This is not going to stand. And it's not the sign of a confident government. You know, if you are happy with your policies, you will take every moment to be explaining to Canadians how they are ahead and better off because of your policies. We're not getting that. We have been getting increasingly
2: less of it since Christmas. And it's not a good look. David Drew joins us every Monday morning at 1130 for Drew's Views. He likes to leave us with a podcast recommendation. And I think he might be. He might be sticking around longer today, too, so you can talk to David as well. Stay with us. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. David Drew, the owner of Negotiating Change, Government Relations, Stakeholder Engagement Strategies, joins us every Monday morning, 1130, for Drew's views. And David has decided to stick around a little bit longer today, so you too can have the chance to chat with David. Open lines coming up with the 12 o'clock talkback hour, and we'll also find out where in the podcast David's listening has gotten him so far today. Our phone lines opening now as we send you to the News Center for an update and say farewell to our friends at Rogers TV Cable 20. The birthday boy, Robert, and the team producing the TV side of this show. Thank you very much for that. Thank you for joining us on Rogers TV. We continue the Mike Farwell show and the 12 o'clock talk back on City News 570.
8: Take out the papers and the trash.
6: Don't back.
4: Just finish cleaning up your room.
2: Let's see that dust fire with that broom Get all that garbage out of sight or you don't go out Friday night Don't do that David, Drew and I were talking during one of our commercial breaks last half hour about music, and David is a self-taught guitarist. Did you ever try learning Yakety Yak? No, no, no. It's all about fun
10: playing around the campfire. and I guess that one would be cool, except the other thing you got to understand is I have smoker's lungs. So there's certain songs I just don't want to try singing because I don't have enough opportunity
2: to breathe. (laughs) I don't blame you, and that would certainly be one of them. Yakety Yak is the way we start our 12 (laughs) o'clock talkback hour. We do encourage you to actually talk back. Forget the don't talk back part. This is... The talk back part of the show. Five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five star five seventy and one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen. And David told me late last week that he would love to stay around for some extra time and fun with you on the program. So I'll just get right out of the way, put my feet up for a little bit, and you can converse with David. We'll see how weird that gets in the next little while. Five one nine five seventy. Twenty-five forty-five. Star five seventy-one eight hundred five seventy fifty-seven fifteen. We didn't quite in the last half hour get to talking about the podcast. You've only just begun, but I did tease it anyway. So we should close the loop on that.
10: I was listening to Fred Delory's podcast, and the latest episode is called "What the Heck Quebec," and he's got Dimitri Soudas as his guest. And people remember Dietrich Sudis as Harper's director of communications, press secretary, and then later left the party after helping his wife inappropriately in a nomination meeting. But for many years before he had those titles, he was Stephen Harper's advisor on Quebec. It's a fascinating lesson that I'm not quite through, but one of the things I speculated about was Quebec has this tendency, when it changes its mind and goes into a wave, that it doesn't do that until seven days before the election. And if Quebec decides they want big change this election, that's not factored into the numbers yet. Pierre Poilievre is right now looking at Diefenbaker-like numbers. And if Quebec decides to do a blue wave like it did the orange wave, oh boy, oh boy, that could be interestingly bad for the Conservatives and the country. The other neat thing about it that I, they were explaining that I found fascinating was Pierre Poilievre is not doing the normal strategy that conservatives run in Quebec. Every conservative campaign I can remember has had a separate campaign for Quebec where they would focus on Quebec nationalist issues. Nobody cares about that in the rest of Canada. But he is totally bypassing those issues and we are hearing by and large the same messaging in Quebec from Pierre Poilievre targeting the same demographics in the same way as he is in the rest of Canada. And I didn't really appreciate that. But these two old campaigns are sitting there going, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I'm just sitting there, it's going to be interesting because guys have never tried running a unified message across the country. I kind of feel embarrassed now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what the heck, Quebec? I think we could ask that question every single day for a variety of reasons. Okay, let's go to the phones during our 12 o'clock talk back. And, David, it's your lucky day. because Mary- Ma- See, I don't even need to be here. Hello, Mary. Hello, David. Have fun, you two.
11: Oh, hi, David. Hey, Mary. How's well, your Monday? It was a lovely time that I got through. I love you.
10: <laughs> I'm going to tell my wife you said that.
11: <laughs> oh, I'm far away. Uh, anyway, anyway, um, Andre gave you the um, the thumbs up to be the prime minister. Did you
10: know that? Yeah, he called in last time I was here, and he said he wanted me to be Prime Minister because of my honesty, and I told him that that would probably be the first thing I would have to give up in a successful <laughs> run for Prime Minister.
11: Anyway, I gave it the second vote.
10: Well, I'm on my way to a majority. I, I, can, feel, that, I can feel the wave.
11: I wouldn't take that job for all the tea in China.
10: Neither would I. Although, <laughs> to, be, to be fair, though, I do not have kids. You don't? I do not, and so I think I would be a heads-up on most of the other candidates that way, because I would not have to worry about my kids being abused by the media and social media. Oh,
11: oh okay.
10: Yeah, because well. the
2: media is bad, Mary. Don't forget that.
11: Well, no, I do know that. Okay, I have 12 grandchildren, David. Twelve? Can you believe that? What
2: kinds of policies would you, as Prime Minister, David, enact to help Mary's 12 grandchildren? <laughs> Mary's also got three husbands, so remember that part. Okay.
11: <laughs>
0: Not at the
2: same time. Sorry, Mary. Oh, wow. <laughs> that out. Come
11: on, that's a secret, Mike.
2: <laughs> and I'm, ha-
11: I'm happy with most of them.
2: <laughs> the grandchildren or the husbands? The husbands. Okay, good.
11: Yes. Anyway, David, I just love your half hour. I will not miss it. I am on my exercise bike, losing weight, and I just, I just really love your your. Answers and show very succinct, very uh, pointed. And oh, one thing I was going to say I don't think um, the liberals should uh, uh, try and uh, whatever this emergency act. I think they're low enough in the polls that this will turn people even more against them. What do you think?
10: Well, that, that's just it. I really don't think that anybody's going to pay attention. Really? 80. Yeah, like they're gonna file an appeal to the Supreme Court, let's say, or they probably have to go through a couple other levels unless they force it to the Supreme Court early, which I would hope they do if they're going to appeal at all. But you know, we weren't following the court case that we just got the ruling on until it came out. The mm-hmm. next court case, how long will it be till that ruling comes out? Couple of years. Mm-hmm. And
11: then and then the horse is out of the out of the barn.
10: Yeah, and also, I don't think anybody's mind changed over this past week's ruling. I don't think anybody's mind changed over the Rouleau Commission ruling either. So I just don't see anybody, part of my language, giving a rat's ass about this.
11: (laughs) Well, I just think, it. it, why don't you just leave it? Leave it. What's going to change? I think it'll uh, produce a lot of negativity towards the Liberals, and they have got enough of that.
10: I agree. I don't think they are going to gain any votes back by doing this. But you got to remember, they always call themselves the party of the charter. So they really, as a legacy, do not want to be seen as the party that violated the charter.
11: Mm, okay, all right, David.
10: You have a great day.
11: You too. Nice speaking to you, and we shall we shall talk again. Hope so. Some sunny day. <laughs>
2: Thanks, Mary. Mary always riding the exercise bike, trying to lose weight. If she loses any more weight, she's going to disappear on us. Mary, you look great. We love hearing from you. And David, just so you know, even if you say pardon my French before saying rat's ass, you still shouldn't say rat's ass on the radio.
10: I should not say rat's ass on the radio? Thank you. Even
2: if I say pardon my French, I shouldn't say rat's (laughs) ass on the radio? I, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Kyle, please help us out here. (laughs)
9: <laughs> well, I'm only running on an hour of sleep, so good luck. Okay. Like literally, um, <clears throat> but anyway, I was gonna. I was. I David, it's, it's nice not having kids today eh, because I could actually run on an hour of sleep and still work today.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, wait a minute. Are you operating heavy machinery? I'm a little bit concerned all of a sudden.
9: Yeah, my fingers to the keyboard on the ca- on computer all day. That's my heavy machinery.
2: Okay, so you're not driving today. Good.
9: <laughs> no, I got. I'm actually dispatching today, so I'm actually dispatching all my drivers on where to
2: go. Beautiful.
9: I'm still in my pajamas. <laughs> so, anyways, no, I think, I think David, I think if you're going to run for our prime minister, you know what? I think that because Ashley and I, we love kids, but we can't have kids. So, is there any way you could, like, put, like, a vacation, tax-free savings account for us, us, us single folks that just want to go and enjoy life? Can you do that? For Wait, me, what? Wait, what? Wait, what?
2: Okay, hang yeah, on. I want- is this a third vote, by the way, for David as prime minister? Let's start. Yeah, th- yeah, 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 okay.
9: So, so so, the, so, so former Soviet Union or communist countries—they used to have a tax on people that couldn't have kids. Well, why? Why? I think you should not tax the people that shouldn't have kids and actually give us more money because we're saving the problem. We're saving the country money. We are really, if you think about it.
10: Well, except the people like you and I who have no kids are the reason we have to import so many immigrants just to keep our economy going. So, it's 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 a bit of a double edged sword there. Um, but I really thought you would have wanted an answer to your question before you decided you were going to vote for me. So I'm just well, going to say nothing and keep the vote.
9: Yay! Hey, anything's better than Trudeau, so I'll take you anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good day.
2: Thanks, you Kyle. I appreciate it. I love it. A tax-free savings account for a vacation. It's just called a tax-free savings account. Kyle, use it to fund your vacation. Uh, we'll take a break. It's 12 o'clock talkback hour. I want to talk more about one hour of sleep Because I had myself a bit of a weekend in that department, too. I'm still not right yet. Kyle's lucky he's a young man. Uh, You can join us on the 12 o'clock Talk Back. It's as simple as picking up the phone and giving us a call. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Every single day on this program, we open up the phone lines between noon and one for the 12 o'clock talkback. I got a call right at the beginning of the show today from my friends Paul and Sonny. And Sonny wanted to call in for Rant or Rave, which is no longer a thing. Although you could just call this hour every day, Rant or Rave. It doesn't matter to me what you call it. The bottom line is we took all of the different opportunities all week long to call into the show with open lines and we put them in one place so you knew every single day where you had to go and when you had the opportunity. So this is the place to be, and this is the time for you to give us a call and let us know what's on your mind. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Kyle was saying just before the break, David, that he's working on one hour sleep. I'm so glad he's not driving. Because I'll tell you what, on the weekend when I was traveling with the Kitchener Rangers, we played a game on Friday night in Sault Ste. Marie. Drove across the Mackinac and into Saginaw, arriving eh, probably around 2.30 Saturday morning. And then trying to be the team guy that I am, I helped offload all the gear at the rink. So by the time I was laying down in bed, it was about 4 o'clock Saturday morning. I don't do that anymore. I don't, and even today, I'm still feeling it. I tried yesterday to make up for it a little bit, but I don't know how Kyle's going on one hour, because I got about four to five hours Saturday morning, like four till 8.30-ish, and uh, I, still, I still don't feel right.
10: Last night, I was down before 10 o'clock. The night before, I was down before 9 o'clock. And that's abnormal for me. I have no idea. You remember, I was on a while ago, and I was telling you that I don't know what it was, but I could not Stay aw- or f- fall asleep for it was the exact opposite this weekend. No particular reason, but I fell asleep so early and I woke up normal time. So I got 10 and 11 hours sleep on Saturday and Sunday. So you and Kyle I just lost Kyle's vote.
2: I get the sense that you are somebody who relies on and is pretty good at getting their regular sleep allotment. Oh, gosh. No. no. Not at all, eh? No, I am all over the map.
10: I have trouble sleeping um so what i do is i turn the screen off on the tv and i just leave the sound going because otherwise what happens is i'm a bit of an anxious person and an adhd guy and my thoughts just start racing if i don't have something mellow it's like when i'm working i want quiet music playing and then i can work for hours at a time with that very mild distraction if i turn that off after about five or ten minutes it's like i'm squarely i need a break i'm squarely i need a break And so similarly, in the middle of the night, I'll put on some sitcom or stand-up comedian that I've heard 5,000 times, and I turn the picture off, and I roll over, and it just stops me from thinking about the next day, what needs
2: to get done, and worrying. So yeah, I have trouble with sleep usually. Interesting. I I know now, like, the older I get, the harder it is to recover from, and I don't stay up till four o'clock in the morning regularly by any stretch, but... The fact that it's Monday, you know, 48 oh. hours later, I'm still not back to normal. I cannot recall the last time I was up till 4 in the morning
10: where I didn't just push through and do the sunrise.
2: Yeah, I was tempted, but uh, then I would have, I don't know. I still had to broadcast the game later that night. All right, I want going back to that call I got from Paul and Sonny at the beginning of the show, you might find this interesting, David. They are card-carrying members of the Conservative Party— actively involved in the Cambridge Riding Association and rather upset today because it's Monday and they've just learned that their nomination meeting for the candidate to represent Cambridge in the next federal election is going to be on Friday, four days from now. I said, boy, that doesn't sound like a lot of runway, usually these opportunities provide a greater length of time for people to build support, make their case to be the nominee, et cetera. Does it strike you as a little bit odd, too? Yeah, it feels like there's something
10: missing from that story. Um, but it's possible. Um, boy, oh boy, though, like Cambridge is one of those ridings that is a friendly bellwether for the conservatives, like... You know, Gary Goodyear won the election before, in Cambridge, the election before Harold Albrecht won in Kitchener-Conestoga. You know, it was their first. So wh- who are they putting in there or That's who what are they I worried? Like, you know, is there another Kara Helios putting their name forward for the nomination? They're like, just let's avoid those headlines and get somebody in there quick. I, I think they have a somebody already. That's my sense. I, I That generally would be the sense. I'm just... It's been a while since I had to worry about a nomination race with all of that, but I do recall there being windows of this happens for 14 days minimum, and then memberships are cut off, and then, and then. But it's nominations can be
2: weird. Um, there's a lot of ways to put your finger on the scales in bad ways. So can nominees. Anyway, uh, Paul also thinks there's going to be a spring election. I think he's... Out to lunch well, on that one. The argument for the spring election is
10: there because I think it's April when the new seating, the new seat allocations come in, and there's five more seats that are unfriendly to the liberals. But that only matters in a close election. Exactly. <laughs>
2: <So>. <laughs> They're not close enough right now to even uh, make a chance, yeah. uh, make a stab at it. But okay, uh, Joe is on the line. I, I want to hear you and Joe have a conversation because I think it'll be entertaining as heck. But we got to take a quick break. David Drew is hanging around for a bit longer on our 12 o'clock talkback. Be like Joe and give us a call, and we'll have the conversation next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. All right, I am painfully close to news time, like 30 seconds to news time, but I don't want to miss this opportunity for Joe and David Drew to be a part of the 12 o'clock talkback today. Joseph, good afternoon. Hey. Hi, Mike. How Hi. you doing? Good. I just got back from Florida,
3: man, and uh, let me tell you something. It is a different world down there. I'm Holy crap. I want to ask Dave, how do you feel about Trump uh, winning the GOP again? Like, nothing sticks to this guy. And I just feel like if you can't beat him, join him, because it's just inevitable. He's going to win again. I'm going to win more money when I win all those bets again. What do you think of him uh, taking over as the GOP? GOP
10: and being the next president again. I am willing to put money down that he will be the next GOP nominee. Um, There's just no credible path for anyone else at this point, short of him actually being disbarred from running for one of the many, many, many indictments against him. As for the presidency, I'm not ready to call that one at all yet. There are a lot of signs that bother me that say... Donald Trump does have the wind in his sails right now in ways that make me a little bit afraid, but there's still a lot of time left and Joe Biden does have the power of incumbency. So there's a bit of advantage there. In terms of looking at him and this inevitable and going along with it, I, I don't want to Godwin this argument, but I think the
2: Weimar Republic would have some things to say about that if they were still around. <laughs> <laughs> and that... Is that. All right. Uh, Be a part of the 12 o'clock talkback hour by giving us a call at 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Thanks for sticking around today. It's nice to have you. Thanks for having me. An update from the City News Center, and we continue taking your calls on the 12 o'clock talkback. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Winding down your 12 o'clock talkback hour for a Monday, but still room for you and, of course, your voice here on the program. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. I do want to share an email from Susie, who writes to Mike at 570news.com. Mike, I listen to your show almost every day, and I love being informed on what's going on in our community, so thank you for all that you do. Well, thank you very much for that, Susie. What a nice way to start an email. If anybody just wants to send an email that says just that, I'll take it. I know that's shameless, right? Susie's email goes on to say, I know you travel with the Kitchener Rangers, and I was hoping to get a message to the players and the organization. My son Dylan, who is autistic, is ranger crazy. He's a massive fan and loves to come out to many games. I just wanted to make it known how much their kindness and the love they show to our kids is so much appreciated and does not go unnoticed. We were at the Rangers skate a couple of Saturdays ago, and the guys were incredible with Dylan, chatting with Bruce and Swick, taking photos and signing autographs. Matthew Sopp even agreed to race Dylan on the ice. What an amazing day it was. Please let everyone know how much this means to my boy. It really makes his day, week, month to get a fist bump or a hello from any one of them. Rangers Hockey have a very special group of guys on and off the ice. A very sincere thank you from a mom who loves to see her boy so happy. Go Rangers, go. Thanks again. Kind regards. Susie that's a very nice email top to bottom Susie thank you very much and I will make sure that gets to the organization so that they know how excited Dylan was and how happy this made him and to be honest with you as the guy that does travel with the Rangers I'm not all that surprised in fact yesterday afternoon oh my goodness what a day it was uh, in Kitchener over at the Henry Walzer funeral home where It was a visitation for Wendy Campbell, the former CEO of the Food Bank of Waterloo Region and a person I know that you know very well. It was evident from the overflowing parking lot and the long line just to get into the visitation room at Henry Walser yesterday. And of course, wouldn't you know, as me and my beloved were making our way through that line, into the funeral home came the entire Kitchener Rangers Hockey Club. Wendy's husband, Craig, of course, is the executive director of Rangers Reach, very closely connected to the Rangers, the hockey community more generally. Craig coaches a team in Waterloo, so deeply connected to hockey in the community. But there was the team, despite just coming off a couple of weekend losses, we all traveled to Sault Ste. Marie and Saginaw together. We're not successful on the ice, but I would agree with Susie's email that very successful off the ice. And I know in this business of sports we are measured on wins and losses and that's really what it's all about i guess at the end of the day but there are lives and there are people there are lives off the ice there are people in those uniforms beneath those helmets doing the things like supporting dylan at the rangers skate like showing up for a friends or colleagues um, visitation at a funeral home when he loses his wife to brain cancer i mean take your pick but it reminds me of being a kid in this community and getting the chance to meet my favorite kitchen arrangers. You'd either go to Sportco or the grocery store where they happened to be on a Saturday. Remember when there was a Dutch boy downtown? Dutch girl was downtown. And Sportco, still there, love it, our source for sports on King Street and all the other places. Because when I was a kid, uh, a lot of times, a lot of times, I cannot tell a lie, It was being a Toronto Maple Leaf in the driveway playing some road hockey on a Saturday morning. But other times, I had to be Jeff Larmer or somebody like that from the Kitchener Rangers having just been at the Memorial Auditorium the night before to watch the team play. And any chance I got to meet them in the community, it really is meaningful. I'm so glad to know that that meaning has not been lost over all of these years, that it still really excites the kids. So again, Susie, thank you for the email. I will make sure the Rangers get it. And kudos to the kids who helped make Dylan's day, week, and month get that much better. This is your 12 o'clock Talk Back Hour on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570. By now, you probably know that the two teams that will compete for the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks will be the Kansas City Chiefs, ho-hum, again, four out of the past five Super Bowls have featured the Kansas City Chiefs. And what a way to do it this year, winning on the road, having to come in as a lower seed than usual, and then knocking off the top seed in the AFC yesterday. 17 to 10, and moving on to a fourth Super Bowl in five years. That's the AFC champion Kansas City on the NFC side. Heartbreak for the Detroit Lions. They led by 17 points at the half, and San Francisco dominated the second half, wins the game 34 to 31, and the 49ers are headed to the Super Bowl as well. I have to admit, I was a little bit annoyed with some of the celebrity coverage at the end of the Kansas City game. And believe it or not, no, it's not about Taylor Swift. Although I do prefer my football to be about football and not the players' partners, but whatever. But there was some video that came out at the end of the Chiefs game down on the field, and I know, look, the Kelsey brothers are tight. They love one another. We should all have such strong sibling relationships. I think it's terrific. But there's Jason Kelsey, now retired from the Philadelphia Eagles, and who last week was shirtless in Buffalo. Like, fill your boots. You're just having a good time at the game, and the cameras caught you, and whatever. But then there they were down on the field, the Kelsey brothers, Jason decked out in all his Kansas City gear, because I guess when you're retired from the Philadelphia Eagles, you don't have to wear their gear. (laughs) And he and Travis, the tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, were... Exchange. They're having a moment out on the field. And I just... I don't know. I'm like, you guys, listen. That was supposed to be the celebration for the team. And at the end of the game, they shake hands with the other team and give hugs to the other team and get their trophy presented. I thought maybe the Kelsey brothers, who get plenty of exposure as it is, could have had their moment outside the locker room. Or maybe inside the locker room. Or maybe in the parking lot at their vehicles. Did it have to be out there on the field where, again... It would be captured by the cameras for all to see. I don't know. It was just one of those little things where I thought maybe you could have had a more private moment instead of everything, everything being public. I suppose also, though, that is really picking a nit because every ding-dang thing we do in the world today is public. And beware of that because speaking of the other celebrity that's connected to football these days, I'm sure you heard the story of the deep fakes AI-generated nude images of Taylor Swift that had to be scrubbed from the internet. But just let that sink in for a moment, how far that technology has moved along. And all of us have put our faces and, in my case, my voice, my image all over the internet, and it can be used and turned into who knows what with technology these days. I don't want to be that guy that says the sky is falling, but it creeps me out a little bit. I cannot tell. All right, we've got an update from the City News Center. Rob Snow standing by with Now You Know. As I look at our show tomorrow, are we going to end up with too long wait times for hearing aids thanks to some changes made in this province? Also, Dancing with the Stars comes to Kitchener on the weekend, speaking of celebrity. But what can getting involved in dance really do for a young person and their development? We'll get into all of that on the show tomorrow and so much more Devin Robertson is our guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Bye for now.